0: In your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Paul and his new partner uh, Silas are on the second missionary journey. Uh, next week we'll have the map up on the screen so you can sort of follow that uh, a little bit easier. I don't, I apologize, I don't have any spare maps tonight uh, and so forth. Uh, last week we were looking at uh, the early part of the chapter starting in verse number 6 uh, where Paul was attempting to go to the northeast in his ministry uh, and the, the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him to go in that direction and then he wanted to go into a region known as Asia, uh, modern day Turkey and the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him to go there and we just took some time and discussed the fact that there, there are moments in our lives where God says No. Uh, It's not that we want to do something that is sinful or something wrong, it is just that is not God's plan or direction for us. And uh, we, we looked at the life of David who wanted to build a temple for the glory of God and God told him no, David didn't get upset. Uh, David didn't get angry with God or fuss with God. He just went out to the tent outside the city of Jerusalem where the the Ark of the Covenant was housed, and the Bible says that he sat before the Lord. He was so comfortable in God's presence. Uh, There are times when David was on his face before God. Uh, There were times when people in the Bible were on their knees or they stood before the Lord. But David just sat down as if he was in the presence of God of a close friend not disrespectfully not like hey God's my bud something like that it was just David was so used to being in the presence of God so comfortable there and David just rejoiced in everything God had done for him everything God had promised him and David set the example for us of what to do should God say no Paul and and his companions uh, seem to follow the same thing. And look at verse number nine, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. They're in this process of, so Lord, where are we supposed to go? A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia. That is in the northern part of the Greek peninsula. That was a long way away. That was to the west. They would have to cross the Aegean Sea to get there. Um, there There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. If you and I will learn to wait on the Lord, God will always show us the next step. He always will. He, he, he's promised that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now, there's a little bit of a transition that has taken place here in uh, between uh, verse number 8 and verse number 10. It's a very subtle one, but there is a pronoun change that takes place. In verse 8, it is, and they, passing by My- Mycia came down to Troas, okay, it's always been they in referring to this team of Paul and Silas and Timothy, we know, is with them. Look at verse 10. Again, after he had seen the vision, immediately, what's the next pronoun? We. It has changed. Uh, it is believed that some, sometime in, in, in this particular part of their ministry that uh, Luke who is the author of the book of Acts, joined Paul and Silas in their team here. So now it's four men that are going out serving the Lord. Not a huge issue uh, or anything like that, but that, that it's, it's a change nonetheless. So uh, verse 11, Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Sema Thracea and the next day to Neapolis. Neapolis was a port city. Uh, in the north uh, easternmost part uh, of Macedonia. The Bible doesn't seem to say that they did anything. They didn't seem to stay there. Uh, they just kind of landed there. And from thence, verse 12, they went to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. So this is, if you will, the very first time the gospel has been taken to the continent of Europe. So far, it's it's just been uh, the Middle East uh, that has received the gospel. We know that Northern Africa received it with the Ethiopian eunuch, and now the gospel's penetrating into Europe for the very first time, and it starts at this city called Philippi. Um, Philippi is an ancient city by the time Paul and Silas and their team arrived there. Uh, It is named after King Philip of Macedonia. Uh, Does anybody know from history what King Philip's number one claim to fame is? He's the father of Alexander the Great. Um, And so more than likely, Alexander probably spent part of his youth and growing up years in the city of Philippi. The city's named for his dad, King Philip. Uh, Again, a very, very ancient city by the time they reached there. Uh, The Bible said it was the chief city city of that part of macedonia because it it's where philip made it the capital and it also according to verse 12 was a colony meaning a roman colony now you and i don't necessarily you know uh get all excited about those terms but back in in the the days of ancient rome they conquered all of the then known world it all belonged to rome but certain parts of the territories they conquered received special placement within the Roman Empire. To be named a colony was different than anything else. For example, Rome controlled Israel. Israel was not considered a colony, okay? When when, uh, Philippi and that region around it was named a Roman colony, everybody there was automatically granted Roman citizenship. And that was a big deal. Romans paid far less taxes than anybody else. Now, you know, citizenship used to mean something here. Now what it generally means is we pay for our health insurance and our education if you're a citizen. Okay, Uh, that was sarcasm. Um, But uh, uh, in those days, to be granted Roman citizenship, um, you were protected by laws that other people weren't. Um, if you were found guilty of certain crimes, a Roman citizen could never be put to death by crucifixion. Their death was always swift and immediate. There was to be no torture, no suffering. And you say, wow, that's, that's a big deal. Well, yeah, if you were about to be crucified, that's a big deal. Get it over quick, that type of thing. Again, they paid less taxes. Um, they were better protected than the other parts of the, the areas that Rome had conquered. Um, And so it was a Roman colony. This was an important place where Paul and Silas are about to begin their ministry. Verse number 13, we are going to see the first convert in Europe uh, under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Now, question for you, in our study of Paul's first missionary journey, on the Sabbath day, where did they usually go? They went to the synagogue. But when they came to Philippi, that's not what they did. The Bible says on the Sabbath day, uh, they went out uh, to a river, it's called the Ganges River, G-A-N-G-A-S, that ran uh, through Philippi. Uh, They went there uh, by a riverside where prayer was one to be made. The reason for that, the the most likely explanation is this. According to Jewish tradition, it's not found in your Bible in the Old Testament, uh, but in the the, uh, laws that uh, they had handed down through generations, in order for a synagogue to be formed, you had to have at least 10 men, 10 adult men. Sorry, ladies, you weren't included on that, uh, but that, that was the law. If they did not have 10 men, they could not form a synagogue. So what they would do uh, if there were less than 10 men is they would just find a place to meet for prayer, and they almost always chose a place near running water, streams, creeks, or rivers, the reason for that uh, was uh, they needed to go through periodic, or uh, I'm sorry, ritualistic washings and so forth that were part of synagogue life. Now, they weren't allowed to offer sacrifices there. The temple was still standing at Jerusalem. That's where all of those were to be offered. Um, but uh, the, the Jews were very particular about hand washing, foot washing, different things like that. They wanted running water. Uh, and so it was almost always by a river, a stream, or a creek of of whatever size they could find, the bigger the better. So when it it says that uh, they went out by the riverside, it's telling us there is no synagogue in Philippi. There's not a real uh, huge Jewish population. A little bit of study of history tells us that because Philippi was a Roman colony... There had been under Nero, who was the emperor at this time, uh, a purging of Jewish people, and they kicked Jewish men out of most Roman colonies. Their wives and children oftentimes stayed behind uh, and so forth to keep the home, keep the business afloat as best they could, hoping that 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 edict would be reversed and then their husbands would come home. That was probably... Somewhat the situation here, because uh, when Paul and Silas went by the riverside, the Bible says they spake unto the women which resorted thither. There were no men apparently present at this particular gathering. So this is uh, kind of, if you will, the first preaching moment on the continent of Europe. Verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira. Now, if you've you've got a map uh, and you want to pull that out and look on it, if you look in that big red section in Asia, uh, not quite in the center, you'll find the city of Thyatira. How many many have found it on your map? Okay. It's one of the seven churches that the letters uh, in Revelation would be written to. That is where Lydia's hometown was. Thyatira was known from ancient times. It was the capital of, believe it or not, the Lydian Empire. Her name was Lydia. Um, and Thyatira was known for the production of purple dye. Today, I'm looking around tonight. There's all kinds of colors represented here. Uh, you know, I'm the man in black. Uh, and you got like teal here, and we've got red, and we've got blues, and we've got pinks, and all kinds of colors. We're, we're pretty much used to that in Bible days, the, the, uh, most people, their clothing was either black or brown or like a dirty white color, okay? That's the color of goat goat uh, hair, sheep's wool, that type of thing, okay? Colors like, like some of you are sporting and, and, and so forth, very expensive, very hard to come by. Purple was the hardest. Purple was the royal color, and it was highly prized because it was used by kings, sometimes uh, in pagan religions by the high priest or priestesses of various pagan temples and so forth. And therefore, it was so expensive that commoners like us, we just couldn't touch it at all. So Thyatira was known for that, and Lydia, uh, this lady, is a seller of purple living in Philippi. Now, it's unclear if maybe the family business or company was located back in Asia in Thyatira and she was just their representative there. Uh, More than likely, that would have been part of it. But because that's what she did for a living, Lydia was more than likely a very wealthy lady. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, she just happens to be in that crowd of women that uh, Paul is is, uh, preaching to. Uh, Again, verse 14, a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. This is a lady that loved God. Whether she was a, a Jewish lady by birth or she was one of those Gentiles that converted, what were they called? A Gentile that converted to Judaism. Anybody remember? They were called proselytes. Uh, She was one of the other, but in her heart she was sincere. uh, When it says she worshipped God, that's capital G. She was not a pagan, okay? She worshipped the one true God to the best of her knowledge, to the best of her ability. So she's listening to Paul speak. The Bible says, whose heart the Lord opened. As she listened, God began to speak to her heart. The Holy Spirit is bringing understanding. The Holy Spirit is bringing conviction into her heart. The Bible says whose heart the Lord had opened. Keep your place here. Turn back to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. There are going to be three major conversions in this chapter. The first deals with an individual with a tender heart. The second is going to deal with an individual who has a tormented heart. The third is gonna deal with an individual who has a tough heart. I keep it alliterated. It's the only way I can keep Brother Terlor interested in the sermons. We're using all T's there. But I want you to notice in John chapter six, um, and uh, please, let me see. I'm in seven. I'm still not there. Um, Please look at verse 44. See what the Savior said. No man can come to me Except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up. That's the person that has come to him uh, at the last day. You understand that salvation is more than repeat this little prayer. There has to be a work in the heart. Uh, I didn't coin the phrase. I've often stated, especially in soul winning meetings, no conviction, no conversion. I read a soul-winning book a number of years ago where the author talked about tricking uh, people into praying the sinner's prayer. Uh, Literally just tricking them as if saying those magic words was what it was all about. My Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that with the heart man believeth unto righteousness um, I, you don't get tricked into getting saved. You're either under conviction or you're not. The Savior said, unless the Father is drawing a person and, and speaking to their heart, you you can't come. Uh, that is why when uh, you're dealing with a lost person or if, if you're sitting in a service and you're not saved and you hear the gospel, beware of the temptation to say, well, I'm going to get saved, just not now. I heard a preacher put it this way. We don't get saved when we want to. We get saved when God's speaking to our heart. You, you might turn him away now and God might never speak to you about it again. You better hope that doesn't happen if you're not saved. Um, this is a lady, this Lydia is someone uh, and the Lord is opening her heart. Uh, look, if you would, to um, the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. This is on resurrection day. The individuals involved here are not lost people. They are believers. Uh, They're on their way to Emmaus and Jesus appears to them. They don't recognize him. Uh, The Bible says that they're they're, in verse 16, their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So he's right in front of them, but the Lord has just sort of, even though they can see everything, they can't recognize who he is. There are a number of verses, by the way, in the New Testament talks about the disciples, the followers, that certain things Jesus was trying to teach them were hidden from them. Um, In in my last reading of the Gospels uh, over the, the last few months, I've asked myself the question repeatedly, I wonder what it is that God feels the need to hide from me. Is there a measure of unbelief in my heart? in which God wants to teach me something, wants to show me something, but I'm, I'm, I'm at that place where my faith isn't ready for it, so God's just keeping me from seeing it. Or maybe there's a rebellion in my life, something that I won't, I, I won't yield over to God. And God says, well, until you deal with that, I'm not showing you anything else. I wonder if that's the case. So these disciples didn't recognize Christ. Uh, he said unto them, what manner, verse 17, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass uh, there in these days? And he said unto them, what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And they went on to describe what, what had happened to Jesus. That uh, Verse 20, we trusted he's the one that should have redeemed us. Uh, they've crucified him uh, and so forth. And now we find out this morning, verse 22 and 23, that you know, some women came to the sepulcher and he's not there. And there were angels that said he was alive and so forth. Verse 25, then he said unto them, O fools, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Does that describe us at all? Slow of heart to believe. You see it in black and white in your Bible. You just don't believe it. The preacher just quotes the verse and you see it, but it is going to change your mind. You've already decided how you're going to live, what you're going to do, what you're going to think, what you're going to believe. Uh, You're you're slow of heart, and there's God's word and God's will right in front of you. Uh, That's what the Savior said to them. Now, they don't know who he is yet. Uh, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, he starts all the way back at Genesis, and all the prophets... He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They got the best Bible study that any human being has ever had. He started in Genesis and just walked all the way through what we call the Old Testament and gave them every single prophecy about himself, because the Bible says all things. Uh, they got it all. They drew nigh unto the village whither they went. He made as though he would gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening the day is far spent. They're offering hospitality. They want him to stay. He went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. David prayed in Psalm 119.18, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I learned to pray that prayer when I was in Bible college, still pray it to this day before I read my Bible. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. All of a sudden they recognized it's the Lord and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? So the whole time Jesus is talking to them, they don't know it's him. It it has nothing to do with who is doing the talking here? It's it's the scriptures that are being opened. Something was going on in their hearts. There was there was that burning within their hearts. That's the Lord working on them. One last place, if I can get you to First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. Paul's writing to a backslidden church. He describes it as a carnal church. It's a church where they couldn't get along. They were. Uh, they were playing all kinds of little games that, uh, you know, my favorite preacher is better than your favorite preacher uh, and all of that. But he says in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Preacher's worth is not measured by how eloquent he is. has nothing to do with that at all. Paul said, that's not how I came to you. Uh, he said, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ in him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. As Paul wrote to the Galatians, he quoted them uh, and kind of threw their own words back in their face. He said, uh, when they referred to me, they said, his speech is contemptible. Paul never argued with that. He, he knew he wasn't uh, an orator. Apollos was an orator. He was an eloquent man. Paul never laid claim to that, but he wasn't bothered by it either. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your face should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Lydia, going back to Acts chapter 16 now, is hearing this man, Paul, Not known for eloquence, but he is teaching the word of God. And the Lord's doing a work in her heart whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. We glean from that based on the very next verse that she placed her faith in Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah because that was always his message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. She's attended, she's given heed to that which he spoke. And when she was baptized, I mean, they're right beside a river, Uh, that's perfect time, uh, perfect location. She got baptized and her household. She's a wealthy lady. She may have had children. That might have been part of what is referred to as household. Uh, It might have also been her servants uh, that that she had that that served with her. Uh, They listened, they got saved, and they also got baptized. You realize these are the first converts. This is the foundation of the great church of Philippi, to which the book of Philippians is, is written to. When she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. She's a woman of wealth and means. Uh, She's got a large household. Uh, They've they've all become believers. And now she wants to take care of these preachers that have come to her town. And she is offering to provide uh, room and board. Uh, for them, so they didn 't have to go out to an inn or or something like that. she would take care of them from that time forward, and she was pretty insistent about it, um, and uh, she constrained us is what Luke said she would not take no for an answer so we 've seen their first foray of ministry here in Philippi on the continent of Europe, and one of the very first people they talk to gets saved, gets baptized. Uh, provides them a place to stay from which they'll conduct their ministry for whatever amount of time they're going to be there, starting off really well, isn't it? Um, have you ever gone out soul winning, knocking on doors, and it's like the, the first door you go to, the first person opens, man, I've been waiting for you. Yeah, tell me all about it. And they, they want to get saved, and then they promise they'll be in church the next Sundays. anybody ever had that, like first door? Isn't that awesome? How many have uh, had a day, though, where you went out and you knocked on every door you saw and nobody wanted to talk to you? Anybody? Some of the same people, okay, the same thing. Well, Paul's had a great start. He's about to get the other one now. He's, he's talked to this lady with a tender heart, this lady Lydia. God's done a great work, um, and now he's going to find a very difficult case. Verse 16, it came to pass... As we went to prayer, it might have been the next Sabbath day. Um, Remember, they went at a time on the Sabbath where prayer was uh, meant to be made. A certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So uh, they ran into this young lady. The Bible said she was possessed of a a spirit, a demonic spirit, and it was called here a spirit of divination. Um, If you like to do word studies, I I looked up this word divination uh, in my Strong's dictionary and so forth. Um, Anybody know without looking now what spirit of divination means literally? Spirit of the Python. Pythos was a Greek god or sometimes a goddess um, and so forth. The Oracle of Delphi was often called the goddess of Pythos, Python. Back when I was a kid in the 60s and in the 70s, America had a famous psychic. She supposedly Uh, predicted the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Anybody from my generation know her name? Jean, Jean Dixon. Jean Dixon gave an interview uh, on one of the news shows and so forth. And they asked her, "How, how do you come up with these predictions and so forth? By her own testimony, she said, I allow myself to be wrapped up in a live Python. And it is when I am in that situation, in the embrace of the Python, that I get all of these predictions that I can tell people. Can anybody spell satanic? Okay? Um, This was the spirit of Pythos, and it it gave her the ability to predict the future, that type of thing. And um, she was a slave. The Bible says she brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Um, Would you please understand, demonic possession is a real thing. Satanism is a real thing. It is not just fun and games. Ouija boards are dangerous things. Psychic readers, tarot cards, palm readers, uh, all of that genre. Uh, I, you know, you see it at county fairs and all that kind of stuff. Do not be fooled by that. Don't even be fooled a little bit. In our church in Pennsylvania, we had a, uh, a lady that was born and raised in Nazi Germany, believe it or not. She was an older lady when we met her, um, and she was German. And uh, she made her living. It was a family thing that was passed down by uh, doing tarot card readings. And uh, she was born again, and she was talking to my wife and I about it. She said, do not let anybody fool you that it's all fun and games. She said, it is real, and it is satanic. She said, when I looked at those cards, I could see things about the people that were sitting in front of me, things that I should never have known or been able to have known um, and so forth. she said, and I made big money. I was in big demand. Adolf Hitler, by the way, was heavily into the occult. So her activities were sanctioned and legal under the Third Reich. Then she got saved. She said, I was hired Uh, to go and do a tarot card reading uh, and it was for some like a duchess or something like that at some soiree that she was having with her friends and she said it was the first time I tried it after I got saved and she said I looked at the cards and I was blind from that day forward when it came to that. Never again did I ever know another thing and I suddenly realized that was from the wrong side, okay? Okay. So we understand that here's a girl, she is a slave. She is owned by some businessmen who are making big money from this girl's predictions. Um, Verse 17, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. So this girl began to follow them around. Um, Paul is trying to share Christ with people, whether it's preaching to a group or dealing with people one-on-one. And here's this girl that is known for the spirit of divination, the spirit of the python. Everybody in that town would have known about her. Her master's made a lot of money uh, selling uh, her, her uh, satanic abilities and so forth. Now she's interrupting and following. These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Question, was she telling the truth or was she lying? She's telling the truth. She's telling the truth. Would you understand that the devil knows how to use truth? Um. The Bible says in no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. That's why you and I need to be very careful about the source of what we're reading. Every now and then I'll come home and I'll find out somebody from Kingdom Hall has been to my house. Um, and, and so forth. I, I got something in the mail from, from a, a lady. I'm sure she meant well, lives in, in Meriden Uh, saying, you know, a lot of people are hurting at Christmas and and if we can help, and it it sounded all very good and there was what we would call a tract on the inside of it and uh, I was almost sure where it came from and I looked at it, you know, on the back and, you know, it was the New World Translation and and, uh, the Kingdom Hall and and all that kind of stuff. Have you ever read any of their literature? I, I wouldn't if I were you, but you know that most of it's Bible, most of it's Bible. It's the part that's not that's going to get you. When I went fishing, most of what I put in the water was edible. It was, it was a blood worm or, or it was a piece of squid or, or a, a small fish or something like that. It was that little tiny hook there, though, that was going to bring death to whoever chomped down on that thing. Um, the devil knows how to use just enough truth to make it look like truth. The the thing you need to do is consider the source. You ought not be getting your doctrine off the internet. If you don't know that by now, then now you know it. That's it. You got a Bible. You got a church. Did you know the internet is not called the pillar and ground of the truth, but the church is? And in these last days, Hebrews says, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Those of us in this room tonight, we are assembled together. That's the word church. Church means a called out assembly. If I'm sitting at home on my internet, I'm not assembling. Yikes. And it not only says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Can anybody tell me what the next phrase is in that verse, Hebrews chapter 10? And so much the more. As you see the day approaching. Question, are we closer to the return of Christ now or were they closer to it when Hebrews was written? We are. So we are closer to the day approaching. Am I right? Should we be going to church more or less than they did? More. But in an amazing, even amongst independent fundamental Baptist churches, less and less and less and less. We're disobeying the Bible, and we come up with all, all of our own little things about it. Uh, you say, well, we need family time. Uh, sit as a family in church. That's a good family time. Go out to McDonald's and get a, get a bite to eat on the way home as a family. Go soul winning as a family. Family. There's lots of ways to have family time at church, but did you know family time is not really commanded in the Bible, but assembling ourselves together and so much the more is. Um, Why? The church is called in in 2 Timothy the pillar and ground of the truth. Not the internet, the church. Okay? So here's this demon-possessed girl... What she's proclaiming is truth, but it's coming from the wrong source. And that's very, very important. The Bible says, verse 18, and this she did many days. It is unclear why Paul didn't stop her sooner. We're going to see that he is going to deal with her he's going to cast the demon out of this particular girl the spirit of the python that's given her the spirit of divination it's unclear the bible says this went on for many days Um, john phillips is one of my favorite uh, bible commentators and uh, a lot of times i'll I'll just kind of study through what he has to say on things Um, and all we can do is speculate because the bible doesn't give a reason he said Paul may have been very sensitive to the fact that this girl was a slave. She was owned by unscrupulous businessmen who were making money off the spirit of divination. And when he cast the demon out, he may have been all too aware that once she lost that ability to make them money, they might put her to death. Slaves had no rights, none whatsoever. It's not like she could just, they would just say, oh, you're no good to us anymore. You're fired. Go get a new job. And, and we'll see that that's exactly the opposite of the response that they had. They were furious when they lost their source of income. Again, it, it's a matter of speculation why he put up with it uh, for so many days. But the Bible says, uh, this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Did you notice he wasn't grieved with her? He didn't yell at her. She wasn't the bad one. We sometimes have very limited patience with people. But my Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Do you understand when, when people come in to church, they're not used to a church background. Maybe they're coming out of a life of a lot of deep sin. Our job is not to judge them. Uh, our job is not to condemn them. Paul didn't go after her. Paul was well aware what was going on. He was a spiritually uh, in-tune individual. The Bible says he turned and said to the what? To the spirit. He knew what was going on that this girl in and of herself, it wasn't her trying to be wicked. This was the devil trying to interrupt and using her. Um, And he commanded uh, in in the name of Jesus Christ for that spirit to come out and he came out the same hour. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that it took a few minutes or it took the rest of the hour. Uh, It's it's sort of a, a Bible way of just saying it was gone. Isn't it wonderful how God always wins? Um, the the devil is powerful, but he's no match for God. Um, and, and we need to understand it. So the devil has come out verse 19. Now this is by the way, the tormented heart, the tormented heart. So many people that have gone down the wrong path, their lives are messed up. We don't understand how tormented they are. Have you ever seen somebody that's been down that path and just seen the emptiness in their eyes? Anybody ever done that? Somebody called up not long ago and uh, somebody, if I said the name, most of the people in this room would know exactly who I was talking to. Somebody away from God for a long, long time walked down a rough path and said, "Can, can we come in? And so we sat down and the minute I saw this young man You just looked in his eyes and you saw it there. I had not one one feeling of condemnation for that young man. All I could feel was sorrow. My heart broke, my heart broke. I knew he was coming. I I just came in here and just walked and prayed and walked and prayed and walked and prayed. I'm still walking and praying, still walking and praying. There's something about it. You see, sin when it is finished, bringeth forth Death, and it's not just death of the body. Sometimes it's death of testimony. Sometimes it's death of a marriage, a death of a family, a death of, of a promising career or future, death of health, death of a mind. There are a lot of things that can be a part of that. The, the devil always promises lights and glitz and glamour and all of that, but he never, he never pays up on it. Never, never, ever. It's always a sad ending, sad ending. This young lady has been tormented. We don't know how she got involved in this. It might've been like that lady from Germany that was in our church for a while in Pennsylvania. Uh, she's, she'd been in heaven for many, many, many years now. Um, that was a family thing that her parents introduced her into. God forbid that we should ever be the kind of parents that are pointing our kids in the wrong direction. We don't know if that's the case with this young lady. It might have been. She just grew up with the Greek tradition of going to these pagan temples. Maybe she was she was a part of the the, uh, the Oracle of Delphi in that temple that was also called the Oracle of Pythos. And maybe that's where this, this took place. She was exposed to something. And uh, uh, isn't it wonderful that the Lord Jesus gave her deliverance from that. We have a God that's able to do that. And that ought to always be our prayer when we find somebody whose life is messed up. God deliver them. God deliver, because he still does. He still does. Verse 19, and we're going to need to stop here uh, because we got so much more on, on this to, to cover. When her master saw that the hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate saying, these men, what are the next few words? Being Jews. Again, the, his, the history of that period seems to indicate that Jewish men were expelled from Rome itself and from their colonies. Um, so these are Jewish men. Notice they're using anti-Semitism. That's nothing new. These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. Now Macedonia was a part of ancient Greece. But notice they identified themselves being Romans. That's, what, that's the privilege that goes along with being named a Roman colony. They are now Romans uh, and so forth. So the, this, this, uh, this tormented young lady, we have no idea how she got involved in it. We have no idea how long uh, she had been enslaved in that spiritual darkness. She's set free the same way Lydia got set free. You realize they were both sinners that needed a savior. They both got saved the same way through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you may have come from a terrible background and, and lived the deep life of sin and then you got saved... Or you may have grown up in church and you got saved as a child or a young person. Do you understand it's the same God that saved you? You got saved for the same reason and the same way. Uh, And it's just as miraculous whether you were Lydia or this uh, snake girl. Sorry, Tim. Um, It's just as miraculous. If you lived the wretched life of sin, you got saved out of a life of sin. If you got saved as a church kid, you got saved... Uh, let's say, uh, how can we say this? From a life of sin. You never had to go into it. You ought to be thanking God. I don't know anything what, what, what it's like to be high on drugs. I have no idea what it's like to be drunk. I have no idea what it is to smoke a cigarette. You ought to be saying, thank God, God saved me from that. Just as much as somebody says, I'm thanking God he saved me out of that. Same God, same reason to rejoice. So Lydia... Is that tender heart, that lady who worshiped God, but she still needed saved? And here's this un, unnamed slave girl uh, possessed with the spirit of divination, and uh, she's just as free as Lydia. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Now Paul and Silas are in trouble. We need to stop at verse number 20 or 21, and we'll pick this up uh, next Wednesday night. And uh, so I hope you will be back. It's wonderful to see our guests with us. Make sure you greet uh, the bunches, the Casper Zacks here. Uh, It's good to see some of the rest of you that have been on the sick list back again for a little bit. We don't have to tear anything down. There's no choir practice. We just get to hang out for a little while. Not too long because some of us old people need to go home. But let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you.